Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, December the 7th. Uh, we're going to talk about UVA basketball. Um, I, I haven't actually talked uh, with the crew about what we were actually talking about, so we'll, we'll definitely talk hoops and maybe sneak in some football stuff at the end. I'm not real sure. Uh, the crew tonight is none other than David Spence out in Fishersville. Welcome back to the podcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. It's always a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> David Spence, who Dave's on the board at who Dave's on Twitter. Uh, Ferber is, um, I guess, left work late, and so uh, he's a he's a late scratch from the podcast. Uh, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, so there's plenty to digest, I think, from the last few basketball games. Obviously, since we last spoke, Virginia has played Ohio State because that was a Wednesday game, right? So we did the podcast on Tuesday. Um, they played Ohio State and won. They played West Virginia and lost, and they played East Carolina uh, and and won. Ohio State has since lost to like some random team. Who who was it they lost to last night or night before last? Oh, oh goodness, Florida Atlantic, right? Yeah. One of the one of the directional Floridas, uh, and I, I I still call Atlantic directional. Um, so, I, I guess let's start here. Going into that game, until the uh, into the Ohio State game, I feel like we all had some type of there was a coalescing, so to speak, of like not just expectations, but to, of like the understanding of who this team is and isn't. And I want to know from your opinion, did. The last week, all three of these games, did that change for you substantially uh, in terms of like who you expected this team to be before those three games and who you think they're going to be now? I mean, it definitely has changed. I don't know if I'd quantify it as substantially because, you know, losing losing Nichols was going to, you know, going to alter the team regardless, you know. It's kind of irrelevant if he's ever played here or not. You know, it's kind of the, the succession in the post. Um, you know, I think even with Austin, it was going to be a tough schedule. And the kind of the way it's set up is some of the tougher games initially were going to be at home. So you figured the, the crowd would carry them and they'd figure them th- themselves out. <clears throat> Excuse my voice tonight. Um, I don't know if that's changed a whole lot without Austin, other than the fact that you don't have a proven low score, you know, a low post threat. Um, we, we did kind of survive it with Ohio state, but the same things that concerned me like coming in continue to concern me now. Um, so I don't think it's substantially, but certainly I was hoping it was all just hand wringing and I don't think I can say it's just hand wringing at this point and excuse the cat who likes to come in every time we have a podcast. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um. All right, I've 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 been on the verge of writing a column. Um, for I, I want to say a week now, that was basically like why Virginia and Virginia fans need to forget about Austin Nichols, and I, I still reserve the right to write this at some point. Um, I I don't mean to say that um that that it's not substantial, right? That he's not a member of the program anymore. I, I don't. I don't fault anyone who looked at this season and, and talked about recruiting for next year and beyond and thought, hey, well, what happens if Nichols springs to the NBA because you were expecting good things? I, I'm never going to fault 
optimism. But what I what I have a problem with is this like rosier pictured pessimism. And what I mean by that is everybody who assumes, okay, everybody who talks about Nichols in the program talks about it as if he was at full 100% reach potential, right? It's like a Schrodinger's Nichols situation, right? That while in reality he had yet to even come close to attaining that type of, of potential because he did have it, because he was a five-star recruit who everybody could see lots of you know potential in, because he had that, that possibility to him, everybody assumed he was going to be at complete capacity. Do you, do you see what I mean? Like that nobody just thinks like, oh, well, you know, he probably would have taken till middle of the season to become pretty good in the pack line, even if that was close. And realistically, nobody around this program will say anything remotely close to him being that good in it. Like, yeah, he, 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 he was here for a year. Uh, they were, you know, there were some signs that, you know, maybe he was going to, um, you know, make the best of it and, and, and be able to, to kind of develop, but that never actually happened. And so it's not, this is not an Anthony Poindexter blowing out his knees situation, right? Because yeah. at that point, Dex was who he was, man. I mean, he was a, he was a, he, he was a force. Austin Nichols was not a force. Like, could, did he have potential? Absolutely. But it wasn't like Virginia all of a sudden lost this player that was at full strength and was just primed to and poised to, to, to take the mantle, so to speak. Now, having said that, there's definitely um, an understanding from, from this point of view that, yeah, it, it, does, it does suck that Virginia doesn't have him. I mean, it really does. But at the same time, like, they have other players, and he was battling those other guys. He had not beaten out those other guys. So I just feel like for a lot of people, taking Nichols off the team changed, your, changed folks' expectations dramatically. And I understand that. Him at full potential Final Four team, okay, cool. Take him off the team. I, I don't think they're dramatically different because they weren't different when he was on the team. Does that make sense? Like, like yeah. people are so yeah. focused on like the loss of this potential thing that they can't get past the fact that the fact, not not the potential, not the idea, they can't get past the fact that he wasn't there yet. And so I don't look at it from the standpoint of man, Virginia really misses Austin Nichols. I look at it from the standpoint of they still haven't figured out yet how to replace Anthony Gill, and they don't right now have a viable post offense. They 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 clearly have 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 enough, I think, defensively in the post to make uh, to win some games. But their offense in the post is going to have to be not necessarily throw it into a guy with his back to the basket and let him go to work. It's going to have to be paint touches, easy easy dimes for dunks and layups. Um, bigger guys like uh, Wilkins and Reuter getting out to the 15-foot and, and, and hitting Jays. That's the way they're going to have to manufacture offense. Now, I will say this. Nichols much better offensively, clearly, than he was defensively. Uh, even though I, I know he had some, some good moments at Memphis, playing in this system was going to be different for him. That was the always the, – everything I heard, that was the, the biggest question mark with him. Uh, it continued through the, the preseason. Um. And then, of course, when everything started kind of popping off, it was, um, you know, you very rarely ever heard about him. Um, I, I still think that this team's fortunes will be determined by the returning players. And what I mean by that were guys who wore that jersey last year and played in games. Um, they're a perimeter team. They're going to be a perimeter team. Uh, I think Tony has an interesting uh, wave to ride when it comes to having so many different guard options and them not necessarily being consistent. And if you ask me, that's the thing that's going to keep this team from being uh, a Final Four type of team. 
it's not going to be the loss of Nichols. It's going to be the consistency of the other guys. Um, if you were, if if you could watch a game and you knew you knew what you're going to get from Shaq, you knew you were going to get from Thompson, you knew what you're going to get from Perunces, and you knew what you're going to get from Guy off the bench, all right, and you knew Devin Hall was going to play really good defense, and that all that offensively they would be able to overcome whether he's having a good or a bad game. You can you can do something with that. What you can't do anything with is our games where hey they're going to make seven threes in a row right after games where they're like they can't hit the broad side of a barn. That's a problem. And I think that's the biggest problem they have right now is consistency. How do you consistently get production from those guys to the place where you know you can rely on it? Tony keeps talking about different guys, different nights, and that's fair. That's the way they've always done it. And that's still going to be the way they're going to do it because they're going to have different guys who are going to lead scoring. But you need to know what you're going to get from the collective. And I think right now that's the question mark that he's dealing with and certainly I think this team will deal with uh, probably through the better part of the beginning of ACC play. What do you think? Yeah, I mean – I brought up Nichols for one point. I mean, I think <clears throat> you kind of nailed it. It's this whole season's going to hinge on what last year's role players can develop into and how they fit into, into what we are moving forward. Um, and hopefully this will be the last time I even mention his name on the podcast, <laughs> but you know, I, I think from the fans perspective, even if you didn't know what Nichols could bring you for the ACC, his reputation alone, you were thinking, all right, we got London, you know, who's got to kind of figure his thing out. Then we've got Austin who can man the post. And then we've got the three other spots we can kind of figure out as we get towards the tough part of the schedule. Well, that got kind of blown up. So now figuring it out has gotten accelerated um, potentially because we don't know because we don't know what he would have been. Um, but you're right. I, I think where this team goes, it, it has a lot to do with the play of Devin and Darius and, and Isaiah um, and Mariel. Mariel, um, whose name I like to pronounce 4,000 different ways every time I can. He is – I mean, so far I think we, we'd agree of those four, like Darius has been the, the best surprise of those guys. Um, consistently in every game, he's he's brought something to the table. He He's a great finisher, and he, he's been superb this year at kind of deflecting the pass off the ball, which adds another element to the pack line, um, making it – you know. It's probably it's something we didn't have a we had a little bit of last year, but um, certainly when you add that with the shot blocking element, the individual pieces not being quite as good in the pack line as they were with Malcolm and, and Anthony and et al, um, it can help make up for it. Um, but I, mean, I think the the reason we saw some struggles in the Ohio State game and the West Virginia game and even early against East Carolina was it seems that Devin it's kind of figuring out how to fit in. Um, and that's to be, you know, to be expected. But to me, the biggest surprise is I feel like Isaiah struggling the most to kind of figure out what to do. Like he's pushing at times. He'll have a minute or two where he's superb. And then he, he seems to want to overplay, you know, do too much with the ball or just get too aggressive. And I, I think he'll settle in, but the key to Virginia season, I think is, is him kind of figuring out where he fits. And I understand it's tough with him when, You've got so much, you know, even though Reuter and, and Salt played some last year, they're playing extended minutes this year, and then you add Mamadi. So he's playing with a bunch of bigs he hadn't played with and being asked to do more. But I still think Isaiah is probably going to be the key to the season just because of what he can bring, playing big, playing small, and especially, you know, he, he gives you such an element. He can be the big one. You, you can go four guards with Isaiah. You can go three guards with Isaiah and another big. I just think if he can figure out how he fits in and gets more comfortable, um, that's kind of where we'll reach our max potential. Um, 
I think it was even against East Carolina last night. You, you saw a couple times where he he made some bad decisions with the ball out of from that you know um, high post free throw line, which he didn't do much of last year. So I think he's just pushing a little bit too much, trying to figure out where the who's going to be where, and some of that's not on him. That's the other guys knowing where to be. Um, so I don't think much has changed for the future. You know, for the potential success of this team, it's like you said, it's those three guys figuring out what their roles are so that guys like Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome and, and Mamadi can, can work in and become better as the season goes. Wilkins is an interesting case because if you think about it in terms of um, position, right, you know pretty much what you're going to get, the one, two, three, and the five. The four is the thing that seems to be the most in flux right now, right? So some teams are going to have a guy like Asa Ahmad who is, um, who is a big man – but really has guard-like skills, Wilkins is the one who has to worry the most about guys actually taking him to the three-point line. You know, sometimes he'll be playing against an actual big man. Sometimes he's playing against essentially a glorified guard. Um, you, you know, if you in, in the case of West Virginia, for example, Virginia was able to kind of go for guard at times with Hall on him, uh, but even that didn't really work out because of Nathan Adrian. I, I, I feel like, too, you got to – I wish I could – I wish I could, like – uh, download this into every fan's brain on the message board, but like Virginia plays at a pace as such that every possession feels bigger because there aren't as many of them, and so they'll see one mistake or two mistakes, and they think the kid's playing bad. And you're you're judging on a crazy curve. Now that's not to say that efficiency isn't a very very big deal to this team, but there are a lot of reasons why something doesn't work. Um, and that's one of the things I think is going to be good about the rewatch is everybody's going to have a conversation about both the good and the bad that isn't just like I, I seriously Devin Hall would have these games where he would have literally have one turnover one turnover and and people on the board would say man he just turned the ball over all the time he had one turnover and you remembered it and because it was one of only you know however many possessions it, it seems uh, it seems um, exponential or something it's it's i don't i don't know what to call that phenomenon again i'm not trying to say efficiency isn't important it absolutely is and for virginia to be good considering the defense that the cavaliers play they're gonna have to be efficient offensively but and to that point not to step on you but yeah um uh, i think it was um dan bonner in the game against ecu or and yeah he was the one who called ecu yeah um maybe it wasn't bonner maybe it was west virginia game he has west virginia game there was one play late where Hall's guy hit the three, and Hall's closing out, and they kind of called it a lazy closeout. But and that's just lazy, like yeah, it's in not, the moment when you're heated, you go yeah, back that was and Greenberg. It. And matter of fact, yeah. when I yeah I put that in the rewatch thread, he's wrong. What happened yeah. there is that the the big flashed into the middle, and he has to his his priority. And I really hope fans who who understand the pack will understand this. Like sometimes you see wide open threes because teams are good at moving the basketball because ultimately the first priority is always the pack. It's always the lane. It's always going to be closer to the basket. So if a team runs action where they run a guy there and then a guy who, who helps comes to the middle because that's where he, you know, he's supposed to, if they kick out and the guy hits a three, that's what Tony wants. Tony wants the ball to go to the harder shot. He would much rather Devin Hall in that situation not dart out to the three-point line and give the guy a free lane to the basket or give the guy cutting a free lane to the basket, right? Yep. That's just the way it works. And, like, I understand people see wide-open shots and, like, oh, my gosh, the deep. 
That's just not reality. Now, listen, I'm not trying to say that kids aren't making mistakes. They certainly are. And you're right. I think Devin at times uh, is kind of feeling his way in. I think Isaiah's trying to feel his way in right now offensively. You know, he's kind of stuck because he, he, has, he has sharpened that, that deeper shot a little bit. But realistically, when he's, when he's blocking, um, you know, when he's setting screens, he's, that's not where he is. So he has to flash out there. And and a lot of times that motion can be something that's a, a, a little bit iffy. In the West Virginia game, he had that one where he's coming up court, and all he has to do is look right, and he and Thompson's there, but oh, he yeah. doesn't look yeah. right. He he's too focused on left, and so he ends up he ends up traveling because he 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 got sped up. He he got he was out of his element. This is all stuff that look we're we're still essentially in what amounts to the preseason. Um, I mean, because honestly, coaches. They, they coach their team to be ready for conference play. They would love to win every game. Don't get me wrong. But, like, they're trying to get ready for, for Louisville, for Florida State and such. These other games are just opportunities for them to play. And one thing that I think, like I said before, riding the wave of consistency. You mentioned Thompson. Dude, I, I rewatched these games. He's, he's been very, very good. Uh, his, his mechanics tweaks uh, on his three-point shot have clearly led to more consistency. He's got a lot of confidence in that shot right now. He's not jumping through the roof when he takes it anymore, which is great. But he's also, he's the guy who can really, I think, make the most of this kind of uh, second year in the in the pack line. Even guys who come off redshirt year, sometimes it takes them that, that second year when they really get it. He is playing a lot more fundamental defense in the, in the pack line while also getting his hands in passing lanes. And I think that's going to be something that this team, ha- like, I, I talked about after the West Virginia game, they had to be aggressive, and that was the biggest thing that, that they, they weren't. I thought against ECU, they were clearly much more aggressive. They wanted to get to the rim. They wanted to get to the to the hole, and if they couldn't, they were going to pass it around. Ball did not stick much. It it, it moved, and that's going to be the key. It doesn't matter if you're making them. I, I mean, everybody kind of got everybody got kind of mad at Mariel for, for missing those three. The fact that he took all three of them is a huge, huge positive in my opinion. Because he's not afraid to shoot. He didn't miss the second one and then get in his head. No, no, it was a good shot. He was in rhythm. Take it. That's what you want. And that's ultimately why they made seven in a row once he came back and made the next one. So I just I kind of think that aggression is, is going to be important. Pushing the ball when they have opportunities is going to be important. I think Thompson is such a big piece of that. That I, I think folks are kind of – I understand, you know, you had a, a weird game against Ohio State where they were down. They came back and won. You expected them to come out and play better against West Virginia. They did in some ways, but West Virginia was better. Um, they came out handled business against ECU. We'll see what they look like at the end of the exam break when they play Robert Morris and, of course, when they go to Cal. But, um, like, it's funny to me that Virginia as a program is to the place where it is now where fans, they lose one game and fans are just angry. I mean, inconsolable. I mean, just fired up and angry at people on the boards. I mean, it's just that they've reached a place – where clearly they want to be, which is every loss feels just awful. Like you just can't imagine the team losing a game. Um, I don't know if that's because, you know, they've been spoiled or what, but it's an interesting kind of uh, kind of expectation when you when you when you every game you just imagine your team's gonna win. Um, that's a that's I think that's a sign of of a of a strong program and certainly fans are gonna have to probably deal with some bumps this year, more so than the last couple, and that's okay. Um one question I did want to get into tonight, which I, I, I'm going to steal from Twitter. So a lot of UVA Twitter today was talking about this being a rebuilding year versus not being a rebuilding year, maybe versus maybe being something like a reloading year. Do you, how do you 
how do you view this season at this point, Dave? What do you feel like they're re, they rebuilding? Um, do you feel like they're reloading? Like, how do you kind of view what is about to transpire for the rest of the of the campaign? Yeah, I, rebuilding is a little much. I mean, good gracious, our football program is hopefully rebuilding. <laughs> um, I mean, you can't. I, I mean, like how you slipped that hopefully in there, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's. This is where I'll near it. You can't have a player as good as London Perantes is on your roster in a game like basketball and be rebuilding. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you only start um, five dudes. You're only probably going to yeah. play eight or nine. Yeah, that's one of, if one of them has that much experience. Yeah. I mean, I understand the other side of it, right? Rebuilding, you essentially have these new pieces uh, brand new to you as well as several pieces that are kind of more important, you know, in Reuter and Salt and that kind of thing. Um I don't think of it as rebuilding either. Reloading doesn't quite get there for me either. It's something between the two, right? It's like it's remodeling. That's about that. That's a good one. <laughs> like because if you think about it, what they're trying to do is they're trying to take role players and make you know let them step up into bigger roles. You're trying to you're almost really, really kind of getting the team and the program ready for a transition. Because I'm like you with London still being there. I know Ag and Malcolm are gone. I get that, but and Mike and Evan too. I don't want to uh, diminish their their. Um, their contributions but like in essence when when london leaves is when the thing really turns over and so yes you've got a, a three freshmen that are playing now you got a couple that are red shirting next year is the is the is the start of something different this is still the tail end of this other era so to speak um and i think even maybe the loss of nichols kind of amplifies that change a little bit you know because he would have been sort of a bridge in a way um, potentially, I, I, potentially, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Schrodinger's nickels here. Um, but I, I'm the same way. I kind of look at it and I go, they're not really rebuilding because you can't have guys like Perantes who've, who's played a lot. Uh, Devin and, and Thompson who've played some Shayak who's played some, you can't really say rebuilding with those guys, right? Rebuilding is like you're starting two freshmen, two sophomores and, and, and a transfer, you know, like that would, you know, that would feel like a rebuild. This doesn't feel like that. Remodeling is is probably pretty apt. Um, I, I, that's a that's a really good pull on your part. Considering I didn't warn you about this question, that's that's pretty impressive, Dave. I got to give you kudos for that. That's nice. Um, I'm a parent. I understand the concept. It's like it's like having your man cave, and then all of a sudden your wife's pregnant, and it becomes a nursery. But you know, <laughs> it's still the same house and True. same rules, and life's getting better. Um, um what uh, yeah. when you I guess what do you feel like if if we're going if we're going to go on this remodeling thing <laughs> do we feel like that there are pieces that we've seen that haven't really coalesced I mean I kind of feel like we know who they're going to be at this point even though I, I do think that things will kind of sharpen and improve like some knobs will get turned um you know I feel like guy is going to constantly be a struggle for Tony this year because you're going to he's going to want to play him because of his offense but he's also going to want – his natural inclination is to not play him because of his lack of overall defense and, and sure, sureness with the ball. Um, I, I thought that was kind of fascinating last night when he came to the postgame and said you – know, somebody asked him a question. I think Barbara from the Richmond Times Dispatch asked him about uh, minutes, and, and he said he went to Williford and Sanchez and basically said, what can I do to help this team? Like, what can I do? I think the thing he can probably do the, the most right now is playing better defense, um, staying continuous – and being more sound with the ball. He does that, and, and that's, that allows Tony to play him a lot more minutes. But, I mean, realistically, 
You're not going to take Lennon off the floor. You're not going to take Devin at this point because he's your best defender. You're not going to take Thompson because he's your most consistent player right now. Um, really, ultimately, Guy is just kind of fighting for him with, with himself and Cheok in a way for those minutes. Um, but I do think that possibly what we saw last night with uh, Ty Jerome getting spot minutes late, I wonder if that is something we might see going forward, which is Tony saying, okay, We've got the kid going. If we needed to go to him, he's ready. He's playing. Now we're going to focus on getting Guy and Shayok more minutes, and we're going to try to, if we need off ball, excuse me, if we need somebody to, to play the point or we need to move London off ball, you've got Darius and, and Devin for that. Um, and and, and, and in, in a lot of ways, Virginia's offense doesn't have to have a point guard until you get to the to the actual distribution portion of the thing, and London can do that, and, from, and Devin too to an extent. Uh, what do you feel like uh, with with Guy? What do you, what if I mean I know there are a lot of people after the West Virginia game who were very upset that Tony didn't play him more. Um, I, I can see both sides of that. I, I think that ultimately he was having such a problem uh, being sound with the ball that it that 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 was a game where you just couldn't risk any more turnovers. But at the same time, you really could have used his offense. Uh, what do you feel like with with Guy? How do, how do you kind of uh, view what they're doing with him and kind of where they go from here? He's a tough piece. I mean, I think our highest ceiling is with Kyle on the floor more. Um, I mean, Devin is great defensively, um, and, and Devin has a great shot, but he like Kyle is just a different level of offense. Um, and I also think. Like West Virginia, every time they came down when Kyle was on the floor, they kind of isolated him, essentially. Yeah, they, 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 they ran did. three they, guys on one yeah. side, and they went yeah. right at him. Um, ECU didn't do that very much, but what I did notice in the ECU game, which I couldn't notice in the West Virginia game because the way they attacked him, look, there's not a whole lot of guys outside of a Malcolm Brogdon or Devin Hall that can defend a guy one-on-one, and it's a little surprising more teams don't do that to the back line. Um Hopefully, no opponents listen to that. Yep, but they, the, they just heard you just gave the blueprint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was kind of brilliant, quite frankly. But um, what I noticed in the ECU game, I don't know if you could see it live or if you've watched it replay. It's not just Kyle. Like Kyle's, he's given the effort. What I notice is when when Kyle's guarding the man with the ball and he a screen comes, like obviously we're going to hedge that screen. But it seems like the big stays an extra beat or two if Kyle's the 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 guy whose whose man was being screened, um, like they don't quite trust Kyle yet. Um, so what I think once that trust is better, right, his overall contribution to the team defense will be better. Because quite frankly, there's some instances where if you can get the other team to go after one guy on the pack line, and you've got a guy like Mamadi or or Jack in the back who can just kind of rotate over and and block the shot if he tries to come in. That's that's easy defense. Um, well, that's one of the things too. West Virginia did a really nice job of of scheming that out because Adrian was kind of mobile and he moved around a lot. They really didn't have a guy kind of sitting at the rim. Um, you know, a lot of like that's one thing with when when ECU had the Washington kid in, like they just were never going to have anybody away from the rim. And, and like Lebo said after the game, like they there was just no way they were going to be able to throw it inside. I, think about how many teams there are, are, are like are going to actually throw the ball inside and some big man's going to go to work. Wake Forest with the Collins kid, and who else? You know, if you think about that, 
so I think your your point is 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 dead on. Like Kyle has to get himself to a place, and and I agree. It's not just you know defending the guy with the ball. It's also the dance that is getting through screens. And teams are are so good because Virginia does so much hedging, you know, at denying that screen and then coming back because you you you're you're expecting you know you're expecting the help and it's not coming. Um, that's just that's just an experience thing. Like it literally can't fix itself until he plays more. And so maybe that's one of the things we'll have to wait and see, um, you know, how Tony kind of plays things the next couple of games. But that might be one of the reasons they got him so many minutes, uh, and, and maybe why he continues to play that. And I look, I'm not a big believer in the idea that he has to start. Um, I still think that Marielle is probably their best pure scorer. Um, Kyle is like <laughs> nipping at the heels because of it. He, he can he can generate offense in, in a very small amount of uh, space. His his release is not Curtis Staples fast, but it's fast, uh, and he can and he and his leaping where he shoots it mechanically, it's going to be tough, I think, for teams to slow that down. But I don't think they need to start. I, I really believe that they can still play comparable minutes. But I think ultimately, in crunch time, it's going to be, it's always going to be matchups, and it's always going to be who has the hot hand. So some days that might be Kyle or Mariel, and some days it might not. You know, you wouldn't have thought against Ohio State to not have Devin in the game. He was playing very, very well. He was scoring. He was playing good defense. Um, there might be some games where you, you, you do want to have him out there and some games where you don't. Um, that's just – that's why they pay Tony the big bucks. I mean, that realistically, like that decision, who to play late in the game, I don't think the West Virginia – I don't think they lost that West Virginia game because Tony didn't play Kyle and Mariel. I think both of those guys were liabilities at times earlier in that game. And quite frankly, if Ty Jerome makes the shot – that open three he had late, and I didn't get a chance to run the video, but, man, did he take that hard. Uh, he took that really, really hard. He came to the media room after that, and he was just like the loss was on him because he missed that shot. I mean, he was basically taking full ownership of it. It was it was, it was, was really impressive, to be quite honest, for a kid him as young as him to just you know shoulder it all and just stand there and be like, yep, that was on me. Um, but I kind of feel like it, you, you're almost in a better spot because how many teams can, can really counter – with guys that capable coming off the bench, um, I think you got to use your length. You got to use, excuse me, your your uh, the the depth of your bench. You got to use it to your advantage. And I think having those guys coming off the bench is a, is a big boost. Yeah, I mean, not to simplify things, but I think there's three big things Virginia's got to figure out before they get in you know, in the next two games, <laughs> essentially, because schedule doesn't get much easier. Um, number one is, you know, it's who's going to be. When it gets down to a possession game like West Virginia, um, I think the reason we saw Jerome playing late is that Tony wanted London to be able to work off the ball and, yeah. and be the guy working for the shot. And honestly, Jerome handled good as, the pressure very well. He did, yeah. And I kind of made the, I made the comment on Twitter that to some extent he was coaching for March and April in that game because he was because that is very unlike Tony to have a guy with that little experience in a game. Yeah, it just it just shows you how much he trusts that feel. He talks about it all the time, and there's a reason for that. He really trusts him just the way he did London when London was a freshman. Yeah, I, mean, I think we've got to develop. Like you know, it's one thing to have. It's great to have a team that's got multiple, multiple guys that can score on a given night. But when it comes down to you know down one and needing needing a shot, London, it's hard for London to initiate the offense and be the guy who gets the shot, and for our offense to be as effective as it can be. Um, and as Mariel is as good of a scorer he is, he's almost better when he's kind of frantically scoring, like as a result of a screen or, or coming off running plays. I don't think is his. He's kind of the 
the cleanup man. I mean, he, he's the guy there for when things don't work quite well or someone overreacts to the, the action we're running. Um, so it's going to be, can we, can Devin be that guy? Can Kyle become that guy? Um, can Darius become that guy? And I think that's what we're going to have to see over the next few games is, and I wouldn't be surprised even at Cal or even some of the early ACC games, we see some unusual lineups late just to kind of get someone the experience so that we have, have more than one option in those late possessions. So you know, I think that's the key, the number one key. Number two is going to be, for me, I think the ceiling, the highest ceiling of this team is with Kyle and Mamadi playing well. Um, we already talked about Kyle, but, Mamadi needs to stop. Like he's superbly athletic. Um, I mean, just it's almost it's almost too athletic at points because he wants to make the no, spectacular you're, you're play. You're exactly right. And you know what? Honestly, that is it's just like Tony said. Which when Tony said this the first time I heard him say it, I thought, okay, that's that's really him, some CYA um, or just you know typical coach speak. But he basically made the point that Mamadi has not played a lot of basketball, and that there are just ways you do and don't do stuff. In basketball games, you know, like there was a moment last night where he like he's coming down the lane. I mean, and he had he had that tomahawk back like with and he did not. <laughs> he had ill intentions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And but there were, it was one of those plays where like you were just like, whoa. But then he didn't even he wasn't. It was one of those times, too. You're like, oh, dude, but you got to you got to figure out a way to get to the line. You know, like if you're not going to make the basket. And you're right. There are a lot of times where he's like underneath and he's trying to get up and, and jam the crap out of it. And sometimes uh, a quick over-your-shoulder kind of lay-in would be much better. And that's something, again, like with, with Kyle, like it's just going to come with time. He's just got to play more. And I think giving him more minutes is the only way you can do it. And, and it certainly helps that he's, you know, he, he's a, a, a walking alt, shot alterer where, wherever he is. But you're right. Offensively, he's he's almost like he's too athletic, and he's not sure what to do with it yet. It's like he's like a kid driving a Mustang, you know? Like he's just yeah. going way too fast around some curves, and needs to like whoa it back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was talking with with, uh, with um, a couple of buddies, Brandon and and another guy last night about. I almost wish that because of how freakishly fast he is off the floor, like Anton Jameson at Carolina, the way he used to like catch the ball in the post and then put it on the glass immediately for that little, that little two hand layup. He was so fast at the glass. You couldn't block it because it was, you know, he was going below the, below the square and, and making it. So if you blocked it, it was goaltending. Like if, if, if Mamadi could develop that and as a counter to his like under, you know, trying to dunk it, he'd be su- supreme, you know, su- an excellent player probably wouldn't be here for four years, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think Mamadi's development is going to, going to be key for the season um not just because of his potential but it kind of gets to point number three for me is i I think we're we've played a lot of four guard lineup which tony kind of you know we've talked about in the off season and and even last year um but i kind of found myself thinking jack salt's played really well this year um and i i'd almost like to see us go big some with Isaiah at the three and Mamadi at the four and Jack in, um, especially against a team like East Carolina last night, where I don't think they've got the athleticism to burn you just because Mamadi can, can get out and guard the perimeter a little bit. And Isaiah can, and, and then you get, you know, it, 
I think we can develop some different lineups as the season goes on. Um, obviously, we don't have a whole lot of preseason games left to figure this out. But um, as much as a four guard can help us in, in some situations, there's going to be some situations where we're using the unique athleticism of a guy like Isaiah, a guy like Mamadi, especially if Mamadi keeps shooting a three at 60-something percent. Um, you know that we can go kind of go outside the box and present some different looks that the other teams have to react to. Because the one thing I'll say is, is I feel like we, as good as Virginia is, there's been too many games where we've had to counter what the opponent's doing in a lineup lineup wise instead of forcing them to counter us. Um, uh, some of that comes from the offense because if you try to play Isaiah at the three, it was a, it was the same problem they had with Evan Nolte. Was he a blocker or was he a mover? Right. He, mm-hmm. he was a mover, and then they wanted him to be a blocker, but still kind of be a mover, right? The only way that really works is, is Isaiah at the four, he can, be a, he can be a blocker who sometimes pops out to the three-point line. You asked him to play the three, or you asked Mondi to play the three. Now you're, now you're a mover. Now you're running around, coming off screens, coming off curls. What's the offense look like when you've got a big man in that spot? I think that's the thing that, that holds Virginia back a lot from using the, the benefit of their matchup uh, potential offensively. Uh, excuse me, defensively or and offensively, because the offense isn't necessarily made for dudes to just freelance. Um, yeah, now, that being said, there are ways to do that, and I think one of the things they could do, uh, what, what they could do in a situation like this, is they could go big longer. Because I think one thing I, I will say about Salt is that like, the more he seems to get time, the better he seems to play. Um, you know, he's still, a, I mean, he's still a catch-all for every whistle this side of the Mississippi. I, it's funny. I asked him um, after the game, uh, every, every whistle seems to go off. It, it looks like you. And, and he admitted, he's like, yeah, that's kind of the, you know, the, the way he kind of looks at it. But I think if they, if they can invest some of those minutes in him um, and, and that's one of the, one of the positives of only having four post players to, to choose from is that you've got a nice array of talent. You know, you have the, the big, you know, bodying dude in salt you've got the bigger yet more athletic excuse me more uh, offensive minded dude in reuter you've got i wilkins who is the who is hustle personified um and then you and then you got diakite who is athleticism out of the gym you got a lot of things you can mix and match there um the problem i think is is that salt might be right now the best of the bunch um but he might have the lowest ceiling of the bunch and so you you feel like you need to give Diakite minutes. You feel like Reuter has he just seems to do good things when he's in the game. I mean, he can sneak up and have you know twelve and eight, and you're like, oh, where'd that come from? Uh, and Wilkins is the guy with the most experience and certainly brings a lot of energy and hustle. Um, so Salt seems to be like the guy who who isn't getting as many minutes now as he probably should. Um, I'll be interested to see what what that's like going forward um, because a lot of these teams are just not going to have. You know, big dominant big men. Um, you know how he plays against Devon Robb will be interesting. Um, you know if they're able to keep him off the glass this year versus what they did last year. Um, but I, I I think you've got a good point. Is that like they do have some bigs that can play? What if they tried to to kind of maximize um, you know the 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 potential matchups? I think really it's just going to come down to a game by game thing. Who what wh- what does the opponent have? What do they generally like to do? You know how can you make it work? Um, I, I think that's the that's the the crux of the argument. And I mean, listen, some people on uh, on on message boards and stuff were talking about Diakite as a three. Maybe you could play him there. Um, but right now, I think he's still trying to trying to swim a little bit. 
um, from from treading water. And so he kind of needs to probably needs to stay doing what he's doing before he can start, you know, doing a little bit outside that box. But um, I agree with you. I think there are a lot of possibilities with this team. Um, and, and I don't envy Tony at all having to make these playing time decisions. I mean, you know, do you give Marielle more, more burn? Do you give Thompson more burn? Do you give, you know, how do you, how do you balance guy? Um, you know, what do you do with Diakite, uh, in the post? It's a, it's a tough thing. I will say this too. Like you're going to run up with a lot of teams that are really athletic. You can get a lot of bang for your buck with Saltz and, and, and Diakite in there together, because let's be honest. Even if you have Wilkins and Reuter in there, one or the other, mixed with whoever, you're not going to get consistent offense inside, back to the basket kind of stuff. Everything's going to come off of the offensive glass. Everything's going to come off of drives and, 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 and dumps. Everything's going to come off of you know, 10, 15-foot jumpers. So why not maximize what you have, right? Give those two kids some, some opportunity to get some rapport. I almost would like to see him pair the guys up and, and play them that way. Um, I know it's never perfect, but I almost would would because that way at least you, you'd have some younger guys who at least were used to playing with who they're playing with, um, which isn't necessarily always the case. Um, let's see. Um, I feel like we're we're gonna go hoops only on this podcast, um, mainly because with, I mean, I, I thought about talking about some of the coaching changes that we've seen across college football, but I think some of that might be depressing to some people, so let's let's avoid that. Um, I don't want to do anything. Um, um, tacky or we're well, not tacky is not the word. I don't want to do anything um, um, too cutesy and be like, "Hey, who's your MVP?" And most approved, you know, we don't need to do all that. But I am curious, um, what's something that you want to see more of from this team once the exam break is over? And understanding too that Robert Morris comes before Cal. But what do you want to see more of after this eleven day break, Dave? That's a good question, man. It's I mean, the pure, like, fan in me, just fanboy, not caring about the team result. But I love watching Kyle Guy play. I mean, I would love for that kid to figure out how to get 15, 20, 30 minutes a game um, just because I get excited every time he touches the ball. And not just because of the way he shoots, but he's making so many good decisions on the offensive side. Um, I, mean, I think we've talked about it before, but – a kid with the ability to shoot that, like he has, the number of good shots he's passed up to get better shots um, speaks a lot to you know to kind of his maturity. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see him play more, but I, I think the number one thing I want to see, and, and this is this is might be kind of cutesy, is I'd like for London's first three pointer he takes to be not floating sideways, just one <laughs> Have game. his feet set and jump. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's like his thing. Like the first half, he's going to try to shoot him jumping sideways, and then when it's crucial, he'll line up and knock it down. <laughs> just, yeah, he, you know, he, he does do a lot of, uh, all right, I'm going to take this. Go for it. You know, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you say that because my thing uh, that I was thinking about as I asked the question was I want to see the offense just – I, I want to see them let themselves eat. And what I mean by that is – I understand the idea that you want to you want to pass a good shot up for a great shot. That's 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 great. Sometimes though, an open shot is a great shot. And if there's anything that that the ECU game taught me, it's that you smoke them when you got them. Right when you got open looks, you should take them. And I don't care how many seconds you're in the shot clock. I don't care um, what your numbers are. I don't care if you've missed the last four in a row. 
you, you need to you need to shoot. And I think aggression is the thing I want to see. I want to see the offense pushing the issue. You know, like it's one thing to come down and get yourself get yourself set and run your stuff. But too many times Virginia lets people off the hook because they 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 pull the thing out and want to rerun it again. Now listen, I understand that there's a there's a side benefit of that, right? It's that if you make the make the player make the other team run more defense, it tires them out because they have to face the pack line on the other end of the court. But it's better for Virginia's offense. As much as I understand that they get a benefit from that in terms of in terms of um, what's in the tank for the other team, there's a benefit I think to Virginia to to find that rhythm and be aggressive and find that confidence. That's the thing about the ECU game. Like they did not shoot it well early. They shot it well out of nowhere because they started taking shots. Because one dude just decided, you know what? I got three open shots. I'm taking all three. Like that's the mentality I think they need to have, and that's what I want to see. I want to see more aggression, whether it's attacking a press, whether it's um, going to the rim, going to the rim, kicking and moving the ball. Like don't beat the thing into the floor. Don't stand there watching. You know, like. Go, go, go. And there's a way to do that in a half-court set. When I say go, 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 I don't mean run up and down the floor and throw up something. I mean run your stuff but take the shots when they're there. Um, and I think right now, so in some ways, and this has been a Virginia problem for a couple seasons, they're too passive. They pass up borderline great shots because they're trying to get something better, and ultimately they, they pass themselves into a worse shot. Sometimes, yes, they pass themselves into a much better look, a much easier look, and that's great. That's just I think ultimately though it's almost counterproductive. They need to they need rhythm. They need they need to 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 go a little bit. And I feel like that's the thing I want to see them do. I want to see them be aggressive uh, in a way that we haven't seen them except for you know spells at times this season. Yeah, and that, you just reminded me of one thing I wanted to bring up tonight, which I hadn't is you know in the, in the past few years we've had just. You think of guys like Malcolm and Evan and Anthony and Mike Toby. Our pack line by by like you know the the eight the twelve minutes to go in the second half, you know, certainly by ten minutes to go in the second half, just the pure physicality of our team, just executing against that defense with the size and strength of the guys you're running against wore you out. We don't quite have that same size and strength that's this year. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, I think you saw West Virginia had a little more legs than we're used to a team having running against our defense, even when it's set. Um, so, you know, I, I think when you when you mentioned we've got to be a little more aggressive on offense, we need to take advantage of getting some easy shots because we're our guys, the team as a whole, doesn't have that immense physicality we've had the past few years just because of the youth. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Virginia's just not as physical. They're not as grown men this year, and that's okay. Like you can play, you you can do it both ways. You know, get it, get somebody who can do both. You're right. I think one of the things you have to be in mind is that you're not the same, and so you can't take advantage of the same um, positives that you had in the past. So one of the things about this team is that positive is that they're they're more offensive minded. Let them go eat. And again, I'm not saying ditch the offense. I'm not saying anything crazy like that. I'm not saying like, hey, let's you know turn them into a run and gun. But it wouldn't be a bad idea to not walk the ball up. Um, it wouldn't be a bad idea to, to take open shots when they, when they get them. Run your stuff. Motion the crap out of it. But there are so many times, uh, and, and I'm thinking about doing that, almost keeping a tally when I do the rewatch, because um, uh, I decided to do this game because it's the exam break and I use something to write about. Um, <laughs> but I almost think about taking a tally and like 
trying to get a feel for how many times during a game does a player have a shot that he probably should have taken and passes it up, and then they don't get a better shot from what that was. I'm not going to assume that that first one went in, but I know for sure that the second one didn't. And so probability being what it is, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say like they would have made it, but I will say this was a place where they gave up a good shot and didn't get a better one and they missed it. Um, but I do think you're right. I think that they're not as physical as they were, and that's, that's not necessarily like a, a huge detriment. It just means you have to be a little different, and different's not always bad. Yeah. Um, so I, I, think, uh, I think this is a good place to, to put a pin in it. I think we did Ferber Proud tonight, um, and we didn't depress anyone by talking football, so that's good too. Uh, I want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen. As always, I want to thank Dave for being on the show. We will be back next week. I, my plan as of now uh, is to do two podcasts next week. One, I am going to talk to uh, Tony Covington and have him on. We're going to talk football for a while and then do one more, uh, uh, another basketball podcast later in the week. So uh, it'll be a, a rare double uh, podcast week uh, on the site. So anyway, thank everybody out there for their support. And thanks again to Dave for being on the show. For David Spence, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.